Welcome to the ATP Tennis Radio podcast, coming to you for the next few weeks from Paris with the second Grand Slam of the year upon us. And the question being asked is a similar one to the last few years. Can anyone beat this man? Backhand cross, goodness, winner! Arms aloft for Rafa Nadal, who will still be the world number one on Monday with his 11th Rolex Monte Carlo Masters title. Championship point Nadal goes big forehand down the line. Nadal steps in on a big backhand through the centre of the court. The backhand flick from Sitspass pushes Nadal back into a spinning forehand cross court onto the line. Backhand flick into them and there it is, arms aloft. Rafa Nadal is champion in Barcelona once again. Inside out forehand from Nadal, forehand cross court from Zverev. Inside in goes Nadal. Defensive backhand cross court clips the top of the net, sits up. Surely, surely, surely. Cross court goes Nadal, he's at the net. Can he pass him? Lovely volley from Nadal. And there it is from Rafa Nadal. Title number eight in the Eternal City. Nadal champion here for the first time since 2013. Title number 56 on the clay. 32nd Masters 1000 title. And the perfect preparation for Paris. Hoping to rise to the challenge of few players in good form and a handful coming back to form. Djokovic puts the volley away eventually. What a remarkable rally that was. Plays a drop shot, team's there, down the line, wins it! What astonishing point! Inside in, goes back down the line, backhand volley from Nishikuri is stunning! Oh, oh. Edmund produces the chip backhand cross-court winner. Oh, no! David Goffer! Lovely little drop shot from Del Potro. Scoops it up, goes cross-court, can he pass him? Yes, he can! Sasha Zverev! Fanini throws up the lob, it's too good! A backhand lob winner! Cilic goes inside in, oh wow! Marin Cilic! Dimitrov does oh. brilliantly to get there! And then a huge wow, that's, that's an absolute bullet from Nick Kyrgios! We'll also be hearing exclusively from Dominic Team and Stefanos Tsitsipas and we get the lowdown on the home players from a woman in the know. This is the ATP Tennis Radio podcast from Roland Garros. Thank you for being with us. We're not quite from Roland Garros. To be more precise, a 20-minute walk to the hotel where I was actually based in last year and was home to the Zverevs and their clan and the dog Lovic, who had the run of the lobby every evening. And I should say what time it is, what day it is, because things can change so quickly. It's Saturday morning after horrendous thunderstorms of the like I have never seen before. But above me now, as we sit in the garden of the hotel, blue skies, I can't actually even see a cloud. There is a little bit of rain forecast the next few days, but I'm very negative about the weather, so I'm gonna stay very, very (laughs) positive. So blue skies, today is kids day at Roland Garros. Some of the players play exhibition matches, there's a DJ, everything happens. It's a really, really nice atmosphere. I'm very happy to say that alongside me in the garden, um, I've rushed his breakfast, is Nick McCarvel. I I appreciate that you have now made several mentions to the fact that it's morning Gigi on Saturday because I'm sporting quite the morning voice. Sounds like you've just woken up, but you have had breakfast. No, I had a little exercise this morning and breakfast. Oh, wow. I still sound like that. I didn't speak to anyone. And it's nothing to do with jet lag because you haven't been home for so long. Yeah, exactly. I came over from Madrid, did the courtside reporting for 
for uh, ATP Tennis Radio, which was a, a total joy in Madrid. Did some commentary with you in Rome. And then I did my French Open prep in Amsterdam, so got ready for the French Open in Amsterdam. And I've been told that we can't talk about towels because if <laughs> anyone was listening to Nick and I in Rome, I think it became known as Towelgate. Yeah, where hashtag Towelgate. Players should be allowed at the back Let's of the court. Let's just leave that there. Andy Roddick weighed in. He was on my side, by the way. Yeah, right. I've heard <laughs> so that. I've heard that before. <laughs> if anyone would like to join in with it, it's at ATP Tennis Radio. <laughs> now, yesterday was media day. Yeah. And you had the perfect position because we're working together. One of the things we're working on together here is live at Roland Garros, a daily, a nightly TV show show for the FFT, for the hosts. You were speaking to some and the great and good that came through on Media Day. What was it like? Oh, and, and just describe where you were based. Yeah, so the players come through and they have so many media obligations, especially during a Grand Slam. They have to do video interviews and main press and rights holders and their national press. You know, there's a lot of things that they're obligated to do, especially the top stars. So we were set up in almost a closet. Oh, lovely. <laughs> Glamorous. <laughs> Um, but we had actually two little setups for Live at RG. We were getting nice little features that we can use throughout the two weeks for the show. We had Rafael Nadal come through, Sasha Zverev, David Goffin, Grigor Dimitrov. Everyone seemed rather relaxed. Um, I know that for the players it's a long day. Um, but especially Rafa, you know, I think everyone's watching him and his every move. And actually, I loved seeing him at the draw on Friday evening because he stood there after it was all over and he looked up and peered at the draw on the wall for a few seconds. Did he? He was studying that draw. Really? Because whenever yeah. you speak to a player, they're like, oh, no, I don't know who I'm playing in the no. first round. And you're like, how can you not know who you're playing in the first round? I actually tried to get a picture of him gazing at the draw. It was just a second too late. But he definitely was just kind of, you know, checking it out, which... By all means, the players can do whatever they want with the draw, but the, the takeaway from Media Day yesterday, we were speaking with our colleague Matt Brown, and he was talking about all, you know, all of the different interviews and what people were saying, but there's so much confidence from Rafa, and it's still sort of the demure Rafaized confidence. He's not necessarily going to be outspoken, and he's always going to be Rafa and very polite, but he's coming in with a little bit of swag this year for sure. Matt Brown, we should say, our colleague, you'll, you'll hear him on, on future podcasts, he is jet lag because he's coming from New Zealand. <laughs> yeah. And he expresses his jet lag by being very hyperactive. So he's just been this bundle of energy. I mean, he told us yesterday he watched every single practice session and listened to every single press conference. I don't even know how that's humanly possible. But for anyone, you can find him on Twitter. If anyone wants to know anything about yesterday. Matt Brown's he, got it. I mean, he might be your man. Well, I think he was sat above Chatrier because there are working desks for some of the radio journalists and you can watch practices. But yes, he seemed to be everywhere. All at once yesterday. Yes. I was just sat literally in a closet. <laughs> but a very nice closet. Yeah, Actually, it was great. I, I came to find you a couple of times and I, I couldn't find you, so you were probably in the closet. Now I know exactly, <laughs> yeah, exactly. where you were. All the talk in the build-up, again, it, it's about Rafa Nadal. How do you beat Rafa Nadal? You mentioned that he was looking up at his draw. I would have thought he will be... Oh, look, does he... Does he? I know he gets nervous, and Carlos Moy, interestingly, through Madrid and Rome, said he does get nervous ahead of some matches. But will he really fear anybody when he looks at his draw? Will he be happy with his draw? Yeah, I mean, I think he should be very happy with his draw. He's got Alexander Dogopolov to start. That might be a little bit tricky, but gosh, I mean, when you look at this draw, the way it's shaped out, Rafael Nadal, of course, is the world number one. He's the top seed. He's the 10-time champion here and all of really the big threats are on the bottom half of the draw. So they're 
as far away from Rafael Nadal <laughs> as possible. He's got Gasquet, perhaps in the third round, seeded to play Jack Sock in the fourth round. You've also got Denis Shapovalov, who's got a, a weird number next to his name, which I find awesome at 19 that Denis Shapovalov is seeded at a Grand Slam. And then he's seeded to play Kevin Anderson, perhaps Diego Schwartzman in the quarterfinals. That is a good draw for Rafael Nadal at any tournament, especially at Roland Garros. It's the challenge once again. We've spoken about this through the European clay of putting together a game plan to come through against someone who is so dominant on the surface of the best of three sets. But it's ramped up a gear here because you've got to keep the confidence, you've got to keep the belief and you've got to keep the physicality over possibly the best of five sets against the best player who's ever set foot on this surface. Yeah, it's just it's something, you know, Dominic Team has has beaten Rafa on clay this year. He beat him on clay last year. He has exhibited his ability to do that, as has, you know, Novak Djokovic in the past, of course, Federer. There's plenty of players who have beaten Rafa in three, but in five. And we and we look at the score lines from last year at Roland Garros, Rafa didn't drop a set. I mean, he steamrolled through the entire draw and no one ever really was able to offer any sort of you know, weaponry against this guy who is so good on the defense and so good on the offense, and then he's so good on clay. He just, He's so at home on the surface. And a couple of years ago, we were talking about the end of Rafa and his knees and his confidence and his serve. He's back, and it feels, it feels right now like this is almost, it's almost like hand him the trophy. It feels that way, but of course we've got to play the two weeks of tennis, and there's going to be exciting tennis to come along with it. But he, to me, he's oozing that confidence, and he should be. Well, let's take a closer look now at the men hoping to take Rafa's crown, starting with this man. It's a stunning victory. Rafael Nadal is defeated by Dominic Team. produces an absolute masterclass. Very few players can say they've beaten Rafa Nadal on clay, and only one man has done it twice in the past 12 months. Hi, I'm Dominic Thiem, and you're listening to ATP Tennis Radio. I did it in Madrid and Rome, where the conditions are, are very good for me, but still it takes out everything of me. I need to find a very good day, maybe he cannot have his best, and then things like this are possible. And of course it's a different feeling to go into the big tournaments that I somehow know that I can beat everybody, because yeah, if, if I beat Rafa I can beat really uh, everybody on clay. Dominic is one of these players that uh, is dangerous for everybody and is one of the candidates to win all the, all the matches that, uh, that he's playing. His recent quarter-final win over Nadal helped Dominic Team reach a second final in two years in Madrid. And despite losing out to Sasha Zverev, the confidence from that run is priceless, with the Austrian eyeing the rest of the clay court swing with relish. I'm really, really happy that all came back in Madrid. I had some amazing matches, some tough comebacks, uh, some amazing wins. I lost the finals, but it's it's more than okay. Oh, he's got him again! And that might be the pick of the bunch. A big part of this belief on clay comes from working with Gallo Blanco. Pair's relationship only adding to team's enjoyment of this time of the season. 
he was very great on clay and he was a really good player himself so he knows a lot of situations he can help me i'm very happy that, that i added him to, to my team is the surface that he liked the most is the same as, as rafa you know like uh, is is the the surface where i think he grew up you know and uh, and that's why he loves to place here i enjoy it a lot because we are in europe it's my home basically even the losses are not so tough because you're maximum flying two hours home, which is amazing. The tournaments are, are great, uh, very traditional, very, very great cities almost every week. So this is, uh, for me, the, the favorite time of the year. There's no doubt the clay swing puts team firmly in the spotlight. The pressure to perform and the challenges of the surface fuel him and those around him. Get ready to fight, get ready to suffer, and get ready to get the ball back every time, you know? You have to work a little more the points. Maybe you have to play a little more heavier than what you used to play in hardcore, but be expecting always the ball to come back one or two more times than usual. There is always some, some pressure. Of course, I, I want to keep my top 10 spot. I want to keep my, my good seedings. Um, it's not, not that easy to, to defend final semis, semis, and at that big tournaments. So made almost all my points in this period of time. Still, I really love the other surfaces, but of course I still grew up on clay and everything, so I give everything, of course, to, to use them well. Speaking to ATP World Tour Uncovered's Rob Curling, Dominic Team, you touched on Team, and he knows how to beat Rafa Nadal over the best of three set format, but what I took away from that interview was Team saying it takes everything out of him to beat Nadal. Yeah, and also the mentality of it, right? Because it's not just the physicality of beating Nadal in five sets on red clay, but it's also the climbing that mountain of, can I do this? And now I'm up two sets to one. You know, all of these different factors, because that to me is the last few weeks of doing ATP tennis radio, talking to some of the coaches on tour. It is so much at this high level of the sport about, about the mentality, about being able to have the confidence and the belief, and not just in one set, or not, you know, not just over a couple sets. At a Grand Slam, it's about five sets, and that Rafa has proved 10 times before that is almost impossible to do at this event. Maybe the good thing for Dominic Team, they wouldn't meet until the final because I always remember what Gunter Bresnik told us last year here during live at Roland Garros when he said that Dominic Team was too emotional and we, we wondered why he couldn't back up the victory in the quarterfinals last year over Nadal losing to Djokovic and Gunter Bresnik said because he's too emotional it, it drained him, it took everything out of him and he wasn't able to reset and refocus and, and do it all again so the good news for team, if he had to beat Nadal, it would be in the final. Someone who knows what it's like to beat him here, one of only two people, is Novak Djokovic. Where is Novak Djokovic in terms of challenging for another Roland Garros title? Well, I actually think he's in pretty good standing. You know, if we mentioned Dominic Team is on the bottom half of the draw with Djokovic, which a lot with a lot of names that I think could come through perhaps to challenge Nadal in the final. But Djokovic comes in building that confidence slowly but surely. He was batting 500 for the season coming into Rome. He had a couple good wins, including over Kaini Shikori. Takes Rafael Nadal to a close two sets. I think he would take confidence away from that match. And I think you just take confidence in general of how his season has gone. Is he ready physically, mentally, and emotionally to go deep 
over five sets into the second week of, of a major. He's got perhaps David Ferrer in the second round. That's not an easy match. He's got perhaps Roberto Batista Agut in the third round. Fernando Verdasco maybe in the fourth round, maybe Grigor Dimitrov. So he's got a path that would be challenging. But I, for one, actually think that Djokovic, if he starts well and if he doesn't get dragged into long, exhausting battles to start, he could make a run into the second week. Really interesting for me was watching, I didn't watch every single person's practice yesterday like our colleague Matt Brown, but I did happen to be sitting on Philippe Chiatre when Novak Djokovic and Sasha Zverev were playing points. And boy, were they playing points. This wasn't a friendly Sasha Zverev, all right, you're Novak Djokovic, so I'll go easy, or Djokovic. It was, and I think Zverev probably edged it in terms of coming out on top. I know it's not a match situation, but they were giving it absolutely everything. It was a very frustrated Djokovic down the other end. He was slapping his thigh, looking at his coach, Marion Vida, who we believe the agreement at the moment is until the end of the clay season, which this would be, and getting very, very frustrated with himself, which brings me on to... Alexander Zverev Jr., Sasha Zverev. Some people tipping him to be the person that faces Nadal in the final, which is bold because he's never done anything. He hasn't done anything yet at a Grand Slam. <laughs> yeah, no, he hasn't been past the third round at a Grand Slam. He has not been able to make that uh, deep run into a major. And, and on the women's side, Karolina Pliskova a couple years ago, that was her hurdle or her ceiling that she hadn't broken through. And she was able to do it at the U.S. Open a couple years ago, lost in the final to Kerber. I think Zverev is due, but he's got to manage himself well. He's got Ricardus Brancas to start. And then the draw, I think, has been pretty friendly to him. Perhaps Lucas Puy in the fourth round, but he's not played with a lot of confidence. Stan Wawrinka is, that, is in that part of the draw. We really don't know where Wawrinka's game is. Karen Hachinov, but he hasn't really proven himself at the Grand Slam level. It could be a Team Zverev quarterfinal. It's the quarterfinal that we would love to watch and see and listen to. But there's a lot of factors that have to go right. You also have Kenny Shikori in that part of the draw. And for, for Zverev, the belief, the belief factor has to be there. I think it's more mentally than anything else now in terms yeah, of grand slams. Yeah, I do, I do. But I also think the physicality comes at Roland Garros in particular because the clay is so grinding. But he's been able to play on clay this season like it's a hard court. <laughs> I mean, he's been playing attacking tennis, and it's mostly worked, right? I mean, wins in Madrid and, you know, wins in Munich, wins in Madrid, and then comes and makes the final in Rome. So for him... He's He's got to be brimming with confidence, but then it's got to still be in the back of his head. But he did say, Matt Brown told us, that he was telling the press yesterday in Maine Press, this is it. This is the slam where I, I break through the third round and I go I mean, further. He, he's hoping it because the question that is always asked of Sasha is, why can't you do it? I mean, the Australian Open, losing to Chung the way he did with barely a point registered in that fifth set, and people sort of scratching their heads saying, well, physically, you lasted until this point. You have the confidence. We see that the way you walk around the place, the way you walk out onto court. You have proven yourself that you've cracked the three-set format. What is it about Grand Slams? I think last year coming, to, he had Fernando Vidasco in the first round last year, but it come off winning Rome, and a, a few people thought it was just a sort of drop-off of the high of winning a first Masters title, then couldn't build himself up again. I think more and more people are thinking, can't have that success in Madrid, the Rome run you had, but now he's really got to step up and do it. Well, and 12 months ago, we were talking about the force of Dominic Team as well at this time because of what he was able to do in Rome but now, 12 months later, he's lacking some of the confidence. So to me, Gigi, it's the, you know, the big four have, have made us feel or think 
that this is all just, oh, you, you win a Masters, and then you go to the semis of a Grand Slam, and that it's de rigueur, but these younger guys are finding out how tough the tour is. The tour is getting tougher. The Grand Slams are the toughest, and for these guys, they've got to be able to manage themselves, and it's not easy to do. You look at Dominic Team; he's had a pretty good clay season this past spring, but he's not coming into Roland Garros with the same confidence that he had last year. You're listening to the ATP Tennis Radio podcast. Very happy to be joined by Nick McCarvel today. We're sitting in the garden of our hotel. If we'd done this podcast last night, we would have been inside sheltering, probably under a table. There was, <laughs> I don't like thunder and lightning. There's thunder and lightning and rain as you've never seen it. But now Paris, you might be able to hear, Paris is waking up. It's the day before Roland Garros starts. And when we're trying to put a list of contenders who might be able to take this crown from Rafa Nadal. Can I throw Kei Nishikuri into the mix? Is the Nishikuri body capable of lasting the two weeks? Yeah, I think that's the ultimate question, right? I mean, I think that he would take confidence from his own form recently, making the final Monte Carlo and then doing well in Rome. But Gosh, he's just still such a question mark for me. And he comes in as the number 19 seed, obviously having dealt with the injuries last year, as so many players have in the recent past. But Nishikori is someone who could work his way into the straw. I mean, perhaps Sam Querrey in the third round and then a Dominic team battle in the fourth round. You would feel as though Kane Nishikori would give himself the chance to win that match against Dominic team. But still, Gigi, I, I don't know where the body is totally. And he seems match tough now. He's had a full, you know, fully realized clay season. But Nishikori, the the camp of Nishikori, Vavrinka, a little less so for me, Djokovic, there's still just a big red question mark floating above their names because we don't know what kind of tennis they're going to bring, especially when it's best of five and it's over a two-week tournament. Now, someone else who could quite possibly in the mix to go deep is David Goffin. Now, yesterday at Media Day, I looked up and there was just, there was a sound person holding a boom. There was a person filming, a couple of people, and and I couldn't see what or who they were filming because David Goffin, he's a slight figure. He's one of the, crazy, he's one of the lightest people that's been in the top 10 for however since Gilles Simon. And and suddenly they, they sort of parted ways and out he popped because a Belgium TV crew are sort of doing a day in the life of, of David Goffin. I know, I'm waiting for the David Goffin reality TV show <laughs> on Belgian TV. I think it was just a crew, right, following him for the tournament, right? Or yeah. how he, because he was signing and autographs on posters. And and this, like, it's almost like a behind a the scenes little yeah. look at at what David Goffin gets up to building up to a Grand Slam. Well, I would, I mean, he should have confidence. You know, he, he's had some ups and downs the past few weeks, but Gael Malfis perhaps in the third round, he's got a, a little bit of a tough match with Robin Hassa first, but, you know, for Goffin, he's, he's a quarterfinalist seed, and then he's got Grigor Dimitrov, who talk about a lack of confidence this season. I mean, and it really is, we, we've entered into this phase in men's tennis where it's not only about the physicality, but where are these guys mentally? And Dimitrov's one who finished the year so well last year in London, winning the ATP World Tour Finals, winning in Cincinnati, and he looked like he was going to that next level, the level that we in the media had been for so long maybe unfairly putting him at, and he hasn't been able to realize that in 2018. So that's a great opportunity for Goffin. You also have in that section Nick Kyrgios, Novak Djokovic, Fernando Verdasco. So the the bottom half, and in particular that quarter, there's a lot of lip-licking tennis for sure. Now we should mention, you just 
said him that Nick Kyrgios, who does Nick Kyrgios face in the first round? Well, he, he faced a qualifier and then the qualifiers were placed into the draw mm -hmm. and he's going to take on Bernard Tomek. Now, will, wow. that, will that match actually happen? They haven't ever played before. So I think a lot of people looking forward to that. I don't think those guys would necessarily call each other friends at this point in their lives. Nick Kyrgios hasn't played in a while. He's been nursing an injury. I think the knee for a bit now. So is he healthy enough? And meanwhile, Tomek comes in having made a challenger final a couple weeks ago and then qualifying. And I talked to a couple Australian colleagues and, and they were impressed with Bernie playing pretty good tennis. Now, I promise I'm not going to run through the whole draw, but one more name, because it's the first time in a Grand Slam he's a top 20 player, is Kyle Edmund. We know he loves the surface. What a year he's having. Semi-finals of the Australian Open, the final on Claire Marrakesh. He wins, I think, in Estoril, his first doubles title. He teamed up with Cameron Norrie. So what about Kyle Edmund tearing things up in the draw? Yeah, I mean, Kyle Edmund is a top 16 seed, talking about numbers next to players' names. He's coming in with a lot of confidence, and he should be confident, and had a lot of time, a lot of fireside chats with Freddie Rosengren. <laughs> I love your fireside in, chats God, That was my favorite part of... Was it just one question? Uh, it, yeah. <laughs> I think it was literally, hey, coach, <laughs> and then you just go. <laughs> but... Freddie talking a lot about the work that the team around Kyle has done to instill him with the confidence and, and you know, playing with more shape, giving, giving more topspin to his forehand on clay, using that forehand in the serve. But Kyle Edmund had a great run in Madrid. He backed that up, played an incredible match against Zverev that we got to call in Rome. He's got Alex de Menor, another young Australian player in the first round. That will be a match to watch. And then perhaps Fabio Faunini in the third round. And then he's he's seeded at least to play Marin Cilic in the quarterfinal, or excuse me, in the fourth round to get to the quarterfinals. So that's also the part of the draw where you have Juan Martin Del Potro. So good opportunity for Kyle Edmund should he come in without confidence and I think for him it's a little bit of managing expectations now with that 16 next to his name I think Kyle would tell you he doesn't even think about it but it's got to be in the back of his mind and he's expected to win that match against Damon Orr. He certainly is now despite reaching the final in Barcelona I'm not sure we're quite ready to call Stefano Sitsipas a contender I might be wrong he's got a big game a personality to match and a shot there's got a lot of people talking and he's been speaking to ATP World Tour Uncovered's Justin Gimmelstop. Well, we're very fortunate today to have one of the fastest rising stars in men's tennis, Stefano Tsitsipas. And Stefano is unique in the fact that he has a beautiful one-handed backhand at a time when there's so many incredible two-handers. Why did you choose to use a one-handed backhand? I chose it uh, from a very young age. I was in between. I didn't know what to choose exactly. I was playing both two-handed backhand and one-handed backhand. And uh, I came to a final decision with my coach that one-hand backhand fits me most. That's how it started. You mentioned your coach. So I know that your dad has been a huge influence and a coach of yours. And both your dad and mother have a one-handed backhand. How big of a part of the decision was it knowing they had one-handed backhands that you wanted one as well? I remember I was very young and I was hanging around the court. I remember a couple of times playing with them, with both of my parents, and uh, I saw that they played with one-handed backhand. At that time also, I was watching Roger Federer on TV. He was my idol since then, you know, and I wanted to copy him and I decided after practicing, I came to the conclusion that uh, one-handed backhand fits me more. Stefano, we see so many two-handed backhands, but what are some of the advantages of having a one-handed backhand? One of them is switching from slice to uh, one-handed backhand, and it helps me a lot with my angles uh, on the court. It's, it's something unusual, not many players play that shot, and I'm, I'm lucky to be one of them. 
What is your one-handed backhand grip and why does it help you execute the power backhand so effectively? I have a certain backhand grip which helps me you know, be aggressive. It helps me open the court, lay down the line, which is my favorite shot. It helps me a lot also on the slice, from switching uh, slice to one-handed backhand. And also, I don't have uh, extreme grips. It's easy from switching uh, to, the, to the forehand side, from the backhand side uh, fast, and I can save time like that. Can I see the grip? So here it is, that's my So that'd be more like grip. a semi-Western, semi, so that gives you a nice strong yeah, leverage on the backhand? That's right. I've also noticed watching you play that for a one-handed backhand, you have the ability to take it a lot earlier than even some of your peers, even some of the great one-handers in the game, especially off the return. Do you attribute that to your grip, your timing, your technique, or just your overall one-handed backhand skill? I think it has to do with everything. Uh, I think it's also confidence when you feel that uh, your one-hand backhand is, you feel well with it and you feel that you can go for it. Unlimited, you know, ways to play it. One of them is to take it early. One of them is, you know, to stay back and uh, have more time think about your shot. What about the backhand down the line? I've noticed your desire and ability to really go for the backhand down the line to finish points. How important of a shot is that in current men's tennis? It's actually, I believe, very important because most of the players tend to stay and take uh, inside-out forehands and, the, and they leave the down the line open very often. So this shot helps a lot, you know, to be able to open the court to their backhand side or if he's a lefty to their forehand side. And then on the next cross, Confuse your opponent by playing a down-the-line shot, get him out of his position, you know. Thank you for spending some time with us today on ATP World Tour Uncovered, and it's great to know that the one-handed backhand is in good shape with the next generation. So Stefanos Tsitsipas and the one-handed backhand. It's so nice to see because I remember a few years ago, we were talking about the one-handed backhand starting to die out. You speak to <laughs> coaches, they wouldn't necessarily coach a one-handed backhand, but then Sitsipas and Shapovalov and Dominic Team, and the list goes on. Can I just mention my morning voice is getting worse as the morning continues? <laughs> okay, that's not a good sign for the rest of the day. <laughs> no, hopefully it, it's on the up, I think. Uh, there's so many one-handed backhands for us now to sort of um, drool over. You've got Richard Gasquet, Denis Shapovalov, for me, the, the lefty one-handed backhand, I don't know why, or the way that he torques that long left arm to hit the one-handed backhand. Cole Schreiber, Dimitrov, Dominic Team. I mean, we're embarrassed now by the riches of the one-handed backhand. And Stefano Sitzbass, what I love him saying there is he watched his parents play and they both had one-handed backhands. He ultimately went to his coach, who was his father, and said, you know, which one should I go with and, and should I do this? And, and with Sitzbass, it's not just the one-handed backhand. For me, it's, it's the confidence. I think in our ATP Tennis Radio time capsule we've all submitted, I think I've gone for him to be the breakthrough player because I love the confidence with which he walks around the court. Yeah, no, he's got he's got great confidence and both his parents have been very influential in his tennis life. And these young guys, to see this next-gen crop come through, they're really starting to have the results to back up sort of the chatter. And CISA passes this guy who makes these cool videos online. They're really good, yeah, and no, he edits them himself. He's very, very good at it. He took over the Insta story for um, Tennis TV at Indian Wells, and the stuff he was doing on the Insta story, I was talking to the guys who manage it, it was incredible. <laughs> I mean, because he, he was doing all this stuff with the camera that a, a lot of us professionals were kind of like, uh, how did you do, can, can you 
Can you help us? So, so <laughs> I've always looked at you as my mentor for all things social media. I did my first Insta story, which was actually was a bit dull, but I, I did it. Thanks <laughs> did to, it. Thanks yes. to your guidance. Yes. Any questions? I remember arriving in Paris on Thursday, and I thought I've got to speak to Nick. And it was a question about <laughs> an Instagram story. I'm just so old, and I use the wrong terminology. But what you're telling me is actually I shouldn't be speaking to you. No. I should track down Stefano Sitsipas. Yes. Ab- no. I mean, he and he actually said I think it was in Madrid that he he needs to spend a little less time. He said he didn't do a video in Barcelona, and now he kind of feels as though that might oh, have been his. Oh, he got to the final his, in Yeah, Boston. exactly. So. Exactly. So, but I think it's good to have these creative outlets. I mean, you know, we've seen a lot of players dabble in, in different creativity off the court, but Pass is bursting with personality, and this is a match. Matt Brown, actually, we were talking with him yesterday, Dominic team, Stefano Sisipas in the second round. That's a danger match for team for you know to take on Sisipas well, in round two. Matt's gone for the upset, hasn't he? He's Did gone he? with Sisipas has a qualifying first. He's gone for Sisipas to beat Dominic team and I know he beat a raft of clay court players to get through to the Barcelona final which was a, a 250 tournament, but wow, if he can come through against Dominic team the best of the five set format, that would be a scalp. I don't quite see that happening, but if it does, that would be an incredible win for Sisi. Well, we have to let everyone know that Matt called that. We have to, yes, well, he well, did. It's, it's on the podcast now. Yes, he did. We have to spend a little bit of time. We must spend a little bit of time speaking about the French players. It's the home Grand Slam. The pressure is on, and Charlotte Gabas from BN Sports France joined Seblosier to run the rule over the leading French players. Here we are now on the eve of the, the second Grand Slam of the season, the French Open, Roland Garros. Charlotte, you see these players a lot. You talk to them all the time. Uh, let's take them uh, from the top of the French rankings in the men's game. Obviously, um, we don't have Joe Wilfred Songa. That's a shame. He said that he won't be playing the, the French. But So the next taxi on the rank, if you like, is Luca Puy. Um, what can you tell us about Luca Puy ha- having a bit of an odd season? Luca Puy is a, still a young player. He's the new number one uh, French number one uh, player, but his results are like a bit um, are not really really regular. Uh, this year he had uh, some titles, some finals, but uh, on the big events uh, we are a l- little bit disappointed. Um, it looks like he plays really well when he really supported by the crowd. So maybe in France he can do something really good. I think uh, he's, he lacks of consistency in his game. Um, he has a great forehand, but I think he, he needs a bigger grand stroke. And uh, he has a good physique, uh, but against great player, um, he has a bit of a complex. Um, and on big events, I don't know why he, he feels pressure, maybe. But I'm, I still have hope for him because uh, in Davis Cup he had good results on clay, specifically beating Fonini, Sepi, great clay court players. And um, I think in France, with the support of the crowd, he can do great things. Okay, and I know Emmanuel Planck, his coach, has high hopes as well. Um, second ranked French player Adrian Manorino what is Mana like on clay? It's actually not really his surface um, he's doing better and better every year on, on clay and on the other surface so he rose up a little bit the rankings but he, he said it so I mean clay is really not his 
great speciality, uh, but he's really talented players that he can use drop shots. He can is really consistent, uh, but I think. Um, it's quite complicated for him uh, on clay. He had a breakthrough year last year, didn't he? He seemed to come up from nowhere, really, and all of a sudden fa- favour a con- more consistent game against... He had a really flashy game before, and, and now I remember listening to him talk in Paris. He's trying to be a lot more conservative now, is that right? He is gaining on consistency with his game. He had a new coach, Jean-Christophe Forel, that helps him a lot uh, in his game and um, he had a great end of uh, season last year and so uh, he's now number two in France so we were a little bit surprised but actually in Indian Wells and Miami he did some great results uh, over the last few years um, so he's really nice because he's quite different from the other players he's not that famous actually in France compared to the great celebrities like Tsonga, Monfils and Gasquet is a bit uh, behind them, but now I mean in the rankings is like number two, so he's going to be supported. You mentioned Gasquet; he is the French number three at the moment, and recently crossed that major milestone, 500 career wins. I know that was much fated, and he's been playing some good tennis. Yeah, he's really talented. We called him. Mozart in France uh, because of his marvelous uh, uh, backhand, obviously. Um, the minus point about Richard is that he plays too far from the baseline. He has the, um, the inferiority complex when he's playing big players, great players, that he can't go for it, attack. And uh, that's the big... Uh, struggle of uh, his coach that he can attack more and on every point and not uh, stay far from his baseline actually. So that's most of the work that Fabrice Santoro is doing with him is it? Because he, he seems to be doing some good work already watching him in Monte Carlo. Yeah he's really talented we saw him against Zverev in Monte Carlo that was a really great game but against players like Titipas in Doha I mean he had the same type of defeat in Madrid and Rome, he let the, his opponent win the game. And he, he was like, okay, he's playing really well, but he didn't find the solution to uh, make him play bad, actually, because he, he was really far defending and really passive against Lajovic uh, in Madrid, it was the case. Now, the next two we're going to treat together because they are the two grand characters of French tennis, really. And they are certainly not passive players, you have to say. Um, Gail Monfils and Benoit Paire. The most unpredictable French players we have, but they are also so talented and we are really proud to have such nice players. They are really great to watch, so the, the crowd really love uh, Benoit and, and Gael, obviously. Uh, Benoit is playing really great, uh, really well uh, these times, but he has some back problems. So uh, we are still, uh, we still really don't know what to expect with Benoit because he, he has back problems and sometimes mentals. mental problems. So he's working on it, he's reading positive books, he told us about positive thinking and everything, so it, it looks better now and he has such a marvelous game i mean he can use drop shots he, he has marvelous backhand so um, we have hope but i know when he, he feels like um, he has pain in his, 
I mean, in the, he can lose a match because he, he only thinks about the, the pain in his back. So, Monfils, we don't really know what's the plan. Um, actually, he, he tries to, to come back, but he, he feels like he's behind physically. He doesn't feel well physically. He needs to work a little bit more physically. And he, every time he, he comes through the French Open, it's like he's, um, um, he feels pressure. And he, we feel like he's, um, he prefers come to Paris without pressure, saying, I'm not really, I'm not playing really well, so I don't feel the pressure of the crowd. So if I, if I don't have expectation, it's better. I think he prefers to, to come to Paris without any expectations. Fly under the radar. And then we have um, a group of players probably underneath that top five. Who, um, I'll just ask you to pick out any that you think could um, be you know, dark horses to watch at Roland Garros. So we've got Beneteau, we've got Gilles Simon, we've got Jeremy Chardy, Pierre-Hugerbert, Nicolas Mahut, and also the young Corentin Moutet, who I know everyone's very excited about. If there were one or two of those who you think um, you know, might do something... Julien Beneteau actually is playing his last French Open because he decided to, to retire at the end of the season uh, after the US Open, actually, so he's expecting a, a really great French Open for him, so hopefully he's going to have a great one, maybe win a match, and two, maybe... It might, it might be great for him and um, I'm expecting Corentin Moutet I'm, I'm really looking forward to seeing him um, because he had a workout for the, the main draw and he's a really talented player I, will, I would compare him to Benoit Paire maybe because he has some he's a bit different mentally he, but he's really strong uh, in terms of, of game. He has a really beautiful game and he's really rising up the, the rankings. He's still young, 19 years old, so we're expecting a lot. Actually, he's uh, a big hope for French tennis, Corentin Moutet. And then, who knows, um, Mahou and Nerbert in the doubles could do something? Yeah, but actually they are not playing really often together this year they because Pierre decided to focus a little bit more on his single um, but well they still have big hopes for the French Open because uh, they didn't win the French Open together and um, they really like playing together in Grand Slam of course it's home and uh, Pierre might do something in singles because he, he made a lot of progress uh, this season. He's uh, also coached by Fabrice Santoro and um, he has great expectations for, for his singles now. So just finally, Charlotte, out of 10, 1 to 10, how confident are you of your French players coming into the French Open? 5 <laughs> out of 10. Um, because we are not really happy with the recent results French players had. Seems like we are in a transition period. Um, we are ex- expecting a little bit more about Lucas Puy because he he's now number one French player, and we, I mean, he he was top ten last month, so we are expecting he can do well in Grand Slam, and maybe a surprise like Gasquet, Per or Monfils. We 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 never know about them so we can be surprised and we hoped to get a surprise this year because in terms of results we are not really confident well, let's hope <laughs> let's hope Charlotte thank you very much
Another backhand from Cuevas. This one is long and that is it. Luca Pui has come through for his second Masters semi-final. Hi, it's Lucas Pui and you're listening to ATP Tennis Radio. So, for prediction time, because time moves on, I think, I'm glad you've had breakfast because I now cleared it away and have to go inside. Yeah, you've you've officially missed breakfast. But you had breakfast. Right, it was so delicious, so, but you missed it but for the podcast. I, it's dedication. The things you do for the podcast. Dedication to the podcast. <laughs> and we come down to predictions. I think we're both in agreement that Nadal, yes. That, um, hands raised. Hands raised for, for Nadal to win. Therefore, who will Nadal be facing in the final? Is it boring to pick Nadal as the champ? I mean, but it's the... How do you not pick Rafael Nadal to win Roland Garros? And I actually asked that to listeners. How do you make the argument? Because we were discussing this yesterday, that Rafael Nadal can't win this tournament. And to me, the only way it happens is if he's off, It's a, if it's a damp day where the conditions are not to his liking, and if you've got a player who's playing their best tennis. Out of their mind. And that's three big factors. That all have to come, to come together. Over five sets, as you were talking that's about That's the earlier. big thing, isn't it? Because Madrid, he got knocked out by Dominic Team, Sashes so went on to win. It's over the, it's over the five sets. It's, <laughs> it's, you know, it's hard enough to beat him over three set formats, but having that belief, having that confidence, every single match would be on Philippe Chatrier. Yeah. He's an absolute legend of the game and you have to stay focused and com- and he's not going to go away he's not going to go away for a second he's not one of these players that disappears for a couple of games and lets you if he could win six love six love six love he would and he's a lovely man but when he gets out onto the court it's not about giving you a game or being nice it's about winning so i it's very difficult to see part it's not impossible i think it's nearly impossible so who does he face in the who who picks up the runners up plate well then i also think it's interesting you know the names that jump there's a lot of names to jump out on the bottom half of the draw opposite of rafa but then you look at dominic team who won that match 6-4 6-4 in madrid if he led two sets to love at roland garros i think everyone would have been sitting there being like Rafa's probably going to come back and win this in five. Just because it's Roland Garros, it's Rafa, it's red clay, it's five sets. Um, that and he's said, lost two matches here. Yeah, 79-2, and two, as Matt Brown pointed out. That is insane that he's going for his 80th win at a single slam. To me, there's a lot of names. You know, I know there's a lot of expectation on Sasha Zverev, perhaps Dominic Team, But I, I'm going to go out on a limb, actually, and pick um, a part of the old guard, Novak Djokovic, to come through, to build his tournament up, to get through maybe David Goffin, maybe Grigor Dimitrov, and play Rafael Nadal in the French Open final. Now, what happens there, that's to be seen, but come that on, Djoko. <laughs> what about you? I, I will go, I will go with, with David Goffin. I think it was so unfortunate what happened to him here last year on Susan Longloan with the, the metal under the tarpaulin at the back of the court that, that ruled him out of, of the grass court season. He had a wonderful finish to the campaign. But look, he's building up steam after the freak eye injury at Rotterdam. He likes to play on the surface. Again, does he have the belief of confidence? I don't know. Physically, can he last? Yes. So I will go David Goffin and an upset. Ooh, an upset early on. You, you know, there's there's a lot of good matches out there in the first round, but I feel as though Lucas Puy is a, a weak link right now, and he's got Daniil Medvedev, who, who hasn't necessarily had the best clay season, but I'm going to go ahead and give Medvedev that win in the first round. And I'm losing Stan Wawrinka. Ah. in the first round. I, I just feel... Against Guillermo Garcia, Garcia Lopez. Lopez. That's a tough first who, round for Stan. He loves the clay, the knee, 
some people believe that maybe he came back a little bit too soon. He was obviously desperate to come back. We saw him at the Australian Open. It's really tough. It, it seems the knee and coming back from the surgery he had on it. So, so yes, for me, it'll be Vavrinka. So I'm picking Novak Djokovic to make the final, and you're picking Stan Vavrinka to lose in the first round. Doesn't sound good, does it? Very different perspective. <laughs> Nick, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. Maybe as we, we walk to site now, you can buy me breakfast on the way. Uh, I can buy you a coffee. I think I should buy myself some throat exactly lozenges. breakfast. <laughs> we can oh, you don't even drink coffee. There. I don't even drink coffee. Oh, I'll buy you a tea. That's a, <laughs> lovely. That's a really nice breakfast. And how about a croissant? No. There we okay, go. Now oh, I'm so generous. Breakfast. I'm so generous. <laughs> Nick McGarvel, thank you Thanks. so much for your time. If you've enjoyed what you have listened to, then please feel free to review us on iTunes. And you can listen to every single day, commentary of every single day of Roland Garros on ATP Tennis Radio. So you just click on ATP Tennis Radio as you normally would do. That's courtesy of Radio Roland Garros. We are rebroadcasting Radio Roland Garros. Nick and I will be part of that team. And we're really looking forward to getting underway with that. And we will be back next week at the halfway point to discuss what's gone on and what's going to happen in the last week of the second Grand Slam of the year. Take care. Bye for now.